the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, we got a couple of interviews that I pre-recorded today because of some conflicts. I want to tell you ahead of time, uh, they are, I, I had some quality issues in terms of the microphone, so I hope our masterful producer, Noah Dingley, is going to try to improve them, uh, but I kind of messed that up. It's really my fault. I hope you'll be able to hear. We have Stephen Mosier, or the great Stephen Mosier, who is really, really thoughtful on the issue of uh, China, uh, and he wrote a book called Bully of Asia about China, and then Ted Malik. Ted Malik will be with us. So I I apologize in advance for that. You know, the Pro-America Report, if you go over to ProAmericaReport.com, you can listen to all these uh, great interviews and these great segments there. Also sign up for the Daily Wink. We pride ourselves on high quality. Noah will be, you know, he's crazy when I give him a bad quality recording. I was doing that offline, meaning not with Noah supervising me. So I apologize for that, and uh, he'll save it. He'll make it great. He always does. All right. What you need to know today, there's lots of things we could talk about, right? I mean, the State of the Union, it doesn't look like, it doesn't inspire confidence. That's the State of the Union, I'd say. I'll talk about it in a moment. Um, the war over in Ukraine, Russia-Ukraine, I'll talk about that for a moment. But I actually want to bring us back, uh, bring us o- home, and talk about Wisconsin. Because what you need to know is what they found in Wisconsin is what I think conservatives slash Republicans have to understand. So we'll get to that. All right, first, let me make a uh, quick comment on the State of the Union. What you need to know, a little bit of a summary. This isn't a big thing for today. Uh, look, Biden did a dance. He, he spent the first part obsessing about Putin, uh, talking about Putin, mispronouncing words and related to Putin. And I don't know, did he make anybody uh, believe him or think uh, more forcefully? Not really. He just doesn't seem strong. Then he spent his time blaming the previous president, so Biden is, is talking about uh, Putin. Then he tries to blame Trump. And what I think was happened by the end of it, and they, I, I don't know why they thought it would be a good idea to, to allow the, um, the, the, the House of Representatives there to be half empty because they had every other seat taken. That was supposed to be social distancing or something. Uh, you know, no masks, and so, but still social distancing. Bizarre. So I, I, I don't know. I don't think um, not a lot of confidence is being uh, shown by this president, which brings us to the Ukraine situation. More and more, we're now hearing that what we've been told is less and less true. In other words, we're being spun by the media and the intelligence community. And again, I don't know much about what's going on on the ground. I don't know anything, really. But I do know that we're told to uh, we're supposed to unite with George Soros and the EU and the UN and everybody else. And that the bad guy in all this is always Russia. I will see. We'll see. I mean, again, at this point, we don't want a war. People dying in war is bad. So whatever we can do to get a war stopped, we need to stop. But I'll tell you this. Somebody needs to start thinking creatively about ways to stop this that aren't uh, more war. Because it's ugly. It's ugly for everybody on every side. So I, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I, I, I'm not confident that we know what's happening now. So I'm not confident we can understand how to think about it. Um, you know, someone uh, pointed out to me the, the corruption in the Ukrainian government is endemic, too, um, also over the years. So I don't know. But um, All right. But what you need to know. This is the biggest story nobody's covering. Wisconsin has been checking what happened in the 2020 election. 
They've been doing an investigation. They've been having their own version of an investigation of events that happened. What I'm doing here is if the Congress thinks that they're allowed to look at the events that happened, January 6th, for example, well, Wisconsin thinks they're allowed to look at what happened in 2020. We'll see who gets to the bottom of what. But what Wisconsin has just presented publicly is that the massive spending millions of dollars in Wisconsin that came from Mark Zuckerberg's foundation was a violation of the law, period. Now, that's what Wisconsin says. I don't know. They haven't been to court yet. It hasn't been adjudicated yet. So I don't I can't say with any definity, the definitiveness that there is now a proven allegation. Something is proven, not proven. But what they show is facts that so far are not in dispute that the money that went from Zuckerberg's foundation into Wisconsin, millions of dollars, was spent improperly. And and if it was spent in the way they say, and it still hasn't been proven, but it's certainly been asserted and no one's disputed it yet, it would be a violation of the law. Now, once again, proving, watch where the money is. Use your money filter. Who's got the most money in play on the ground in a place like Wisconsin, Swing State? It looks like they were there to do what? They weren't there to help jobs. They were there to influence the election, right? Isn't that right? If you're Mark Zuckerberg, aren't you aren't you having a uh, a dinner party with your friends and you're toasting yourself saying, "I deployed money from my nonprofit into places that could make a difference to either legally or perhaps based on what they found in Wisconsin illegally influence the election." How is that not a thing? How is that not a a, a story, an international story? Because Wisconsin was within a, I don't know, 50,000 votes, less than that, somewhere around there. It might have been 70,000. I can't remember now. And everybody says that the inf- influx of millions of dollars from the Zuckerbucks was a factor. So, again, we don't have it proven in court yet. That's not the standard I can, I can uphold. But I, we, have, we have public exposition of significant problems with the elections that indicate that the Zuckerbucks were spent illegally. Now, why isn't that a major story? You can't run a nation, a republic like America, and allow corruption like that, can you? If it was happening in another country, if this was happening in, the, in, in an election that was observed in another country, let's say a lot of times you'll send observers to elections in, in, in Soviet bloc countries that are coming out, or Africa, or wherever, Asia. If you observe these improprieties, would Amnesty International, would the outside observers say, well, the election is really not tough. The election might be even, they might even describe, they might even describe in some of these third world countries where you go in and you have observers and they say, we don't know what happened here. We know that there was walking around money. We don't, this looks like the election may be corrupt. We don't know how yet, but we're going to assert that because of the improprieties we've seen around it. Now, 2020 hasn't been proven But when you're talking about Wisconsin and you're talking about a system, a set of people who have asserted, Mark Elias, his law firm and others, that all around that, they asserted that their goal was to fortify the election. And they said they didn't break any laws, but maybe they didn't. But it looks like people around them might have. And do you really think that the same people that would push the envelope would stop pushing because... A, they wanted the power. I mean, they're interested in power, the shift in power. And B, many of them were true believers. They thought, oh, this is the end of the world if we don't win. Again, 
The ends don't justify the means, however, in America. They might in other places. And so that's the story that's broke in the last couple of days, the story that has come out and almost no coverage. Now, part of the reason no coverage is there's a war going on and they're you know, going to cover that. But part of the reason is how can they cover it? Because it sounds an awful lot like the allegations that President Trump made are at least supported by facts that are now publicly known. Again, we don't have it's not proof yet. It's not proof But we have money moving into a state and being spent in ways that look like they're not proper, at least, maybe illegal. Could be a violation of campaign finance laws or rules. Could be a a violation that's not against the law, breaking a law, but against the rules of of, of one of the elections. I'm not sure that yet. But that's what's happening. And again, back to the, the, you know, you talk about filters. Follow the money. Follow the money. Do you really think that um, it had no impact on uh, Wisconsin to have the flood of Zuckerbucks? Do you think it has no impact to have a flood of Soros uh, organizations that fund prosecutors into different places? You don't think it modifies and changes behavior? It has to. It has to. Based on human nature. And now we have uh, proof is a little strong, but we have an indication of facts not in dispute that look like they impact the 2020 election. And nobody's covering it. And meanwhile, we're meant to we're, we gather around the 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 the, uh, the action adventure film that is being uh, t- told us about what's going on in uh, the Ukraine, and we're supposed to just take that without any doubt. You know, just well, yeah, it's great. I mean, we have been lied to for five years on all sorts of things, but now now everybody's telling us the truth. Unlikely, unlikely. What you need to know is, as more and more facts come out, the question will become, and I'm not sure we have an answer yet. Can the American public actually know the truth? Because if big tech and big media and the narrative machine and big government shuts it all down, I don't think you know. I did a radio interview in uh, Champaign, Illinois, on a a station out of Champaign, and I said this to the the host. I said, Stevie, listen, if, if everybody teaches you and tells you through big tech, big media and big government, X is true, a lot of Americans are going to believe that. See the Russia hoax. It's an amazing time we're living in. All right, we got to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk with Ted Malik and also with Stephen Mosier. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. It's time to talk with our old friend, Ted Malik. Dr. Ted Malik, of course, is a noted businessman, a professor, uh, an author, and a general commentator, and writes over right now a lot, very frequently, over at AmericanGreatness.com. Excuse me, American Greatness, the uh, journal there, AmGreatness.com. Um, and uh, I want to talk to you about your piece, which is a follow-up to our conversation last week or so on the radio, uh, which the title is The Problems of Vulture Capitalism uh, by Ted Malik. But Ted, before I get there, I did want to try this out on you. I was doing an interview the other day, a couple of days ago, and someone said XYZ. And I said, I just want to point out, George Soros is on the side of the Ukraine. Now, I'm not saying automatically I pick the other side. I'm just saying that generally, whatever side George Soros, the UN, the EU, all the Konoshenti are on, I get a little nervous. And yet, in this case, sort of like other times in history, Iraq, we're just told, no, no, we finally got this one right. I, I mean, you know, Soros says this is the end. You know, uh, 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 we have to go this way. I, I don't know if people pick that up. Yeah, well, I think some people track and follow whatever George Soros does. 
yeah. or more or less where his money goes, which is, I guess, more important than what he says. Um, so, yeah, he does have strong uh, predilections towards uh, Central Europe, himself being a Hungarian. Mm-hmm. Um, and he started the Central European University. Open Society has funded lots of things in Central Europe. So, you know, he's, I mean, to give him credit, he's generally in favor of freedom in Eastern Europe. Uh, where I would agree with George Soros, I have no no problem in announcing so. Yeah. All right. So now let's go to this piece. Uh, last last week, or uh, I think it was uh, uh, February 11th, you, you challenged George Soros to a debate. But the specific topic is important because I don't think people quite realize um, one of the challenges that's happening to this country centers around people misunderstanding things and, and ideas and concepts and what's around us. And one of them is uh, capitalism. So walk us through why this debate, why you challenge them and what you're trying to contrast and teach people about. Well, George uh, Soros has made and now given away a vast fortune, something on the order of $40 billion. Uh, And I think it would be very um, emblematic, very important to understand how he made his money, the form of capitalism that he not only prefers but has practiced, and how it is distinguished and differs from what I have written about and spent a large part of my latter career writing about, which is a more traditional virtuous form of capitalism. So I tried, uh, Soros won't debate me or people like me because he's frankly ashamed of the kind of capitalism that he uh, uh, practices. Uh, And uh, I thought the way to um, highlight that would be to actually stage you call it a fictional debate, but a debate. And that, that's, in fact, what we've done here in terms of formal questions and a resolve. So he is a, an investor who scavenges off of distressed companies, distressed countries for profit, like a vulture scavenges off dead bodies of animals. Uh, and uh, he's very proud of, of, of the way he has made his money, uh, which is very immoral. And uh, I wanted to contrast that with uh, a kind of capitalism that I have favored, which is a kind of uh, Adam Smith-oriented, market-based, moral capitalism that I call virtuous capital. Uh, we're talking with Ted Malik and uh, Dr. Ted Malik, of course, is uh, author of uh, many books. Uh, and, and one of them is uh, important to know. It's called Doing Virtuous Business. Uh, 18 books, I guess it is. Um, so one before we get a little more into this, um, has the world just changed? Meaning in the last 25 years, has the uh, the way the market operates, both in terms of information as well as goods, changed so much that either... Uh, Soros is outdated, or even your vision of things is outdated, or at least changed dramatically? Well, yeah, capitalism, market economies are dynamic. So they're, in fact, always changing and influenced by technology, influenced by new markets and advances. Uh, I mean, that's the fascinating thing, I would say, about capitalism is it doesn't stand still. Uh, it, it does present an, op- an opportunity for those who, like Soros, um, uh, look for arbitrage opportunities and want to get rich quick. Uh, in other words, uh, I'm talking about hedge funds here largely, some private equity funds. 
Um, they don't have any social benefit. They don't enrich the masses or the public. They have no preferential treatment for the poor or the needy. Their only act is to win and to take all, to acquire their wealth, and then to take that money and change society according to their norms and preferences. In Soros's case, his preferences are globalism and democratic socialism. But they don't add any value to the to the actual and real economy. And that's, of course, the the nub of my criticism. Uh, again, we're talking with uh, Ted, Ted Malik, uh, the author and the commentator. Um, you mentioned earlier Soros. Is Soros in his late 80s? I mean, he, as he's, you point uh, out. 80, he's 81 years old. Okay. Still doctors in his mind. is strong. Uh, his, you know, his body is frail. He, he does uh, travel still. He has numerous houses, both in the U.S. and, 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 and abroad. Did you, over the years, did you know him? Did you meet him? You must have met him. Uh, yeah, <laughs> do you, I have do, met him. Do you know him well? People, no, I don't know him well. Uh, he's never funded anything I've ever done. <laughs> Probably is not likely to. Um, and my criticism in in a final paragraphs of my debate over Karl Popper would would make him irate to the end, but because um, he misreads Popper completely. But um, uh, I. Um, I was president of, a, of a, the World Economic Development Congress, 1992, with Ted Turner, you know, hired me to do. And at that conference, which was attended by 2,500 people, heads of state, finance ministers, I think 250 CEOs, there was one gentleman um, who uh, was a hedge fund guy from the Quantum Fund, who was very interested in um, shorting currencies. And his name was George uh, Soros. At that meeting, Margaret Thatcher gave a very famous speech about the European um, you know, um, uh, exchange mechanisms, uh, and um, it, it caused a lot of stir. It was live on CNN. George Soros decided to short the pound, and that weekend, in that single act, he almost broke the Bank of England and made $2 billion. Added nothing at all of any value to the global or world economy but walked away with $2 billion. Uh, and, and again, we're talking with Ted Malik and, and Ted, as we watch the world um, and some of the same players that have dominated George Soros is one, but also we watch the players in, in Europe, the EU and the UN and others line up and explain to us who's got the white hat, who's got the black hat in the uh, in the Ukraine, Russia situation. Isn't some of this financial? Well, there's a lot of people making money off this too, right? Well, there are ways to make money off of just about every situation, whether it's betting on the Super Bowl or uh, looking at a um, an economy that's you know now in, in pretty desperate straits, or in the case of Russia, where the currency has lost you know fifty percent of its value overnight, and um, uh, you know its opportunities look rather dire, at least over the medium term. So yeah, there are people who uh, prosper over others uh, just for uh, unfortunate circumstances, whether that's a currency, a country, or, you know, typically in in the case of shorting stocks, it's uh, stocks themselves. Uh, Ted Malik is our guest and he writes over at AmericanGreatness.com. I'll post this piece up over there. Um, Economically, what happens What's where? Where are we headed in terms of the uh, economy, world economy, especially how it affects us with regard to the the uh, Russia Ukraine situation? Well, if it does move in a direction, I think it is moving in, 
which is involving uh, more countries with more economic effects and more dislocations, not just removing, say, Russia from from the global economy, but also affecting um, international markets, particularly commodities markets and those for oil and gas, then we're going to be in a um, year or two, possibly three or four, of very low economic growth, much less than was expected, uh, of hyperinflation. We're already in an inflationary uh, modality, but that will be kicked up and we'll find uh, a lot of displaced um, individuals and um, immigrants, particularly as they move from Eastern Europe West. Um, it, it, uh, what's the best case scenario? Is there a best case scenario where somehow we step back from this brink? The best case of scenario was what I wrote about six months ago uh, when I said we should have taken this whole thing seriously. We should have put in place um, fairly strict sanctions, uh, including those on the energy sector then. And we should have armed, at least with more Stinger missiles and more Javelin missiles, the Ukrainian army. Um, I think we'll see here in the next week that that's going to become nearly impossible, if not uh, you know, very difficult to do. And um, the best case uh, uh, would be that Putin comes to his senses and says, you know, I've miscalculated here. May, I, I need to retrace and, um, and, and maybe go into some kind of serious diplomatic uh, conversation or talk, either with the Europeans or with the Americans or certainly indirectly with the Ukrainians. I'm not optimistic about that. You're not. You're not. Um, I'm going to tease my next piece because I just finished writing it. I'm editing as we speak. And the title is When I Met Putin. Ah, excellent. Excellent. All right. Uh, well, that's great. Well, we'll have you back on again to talk about that. All right. Uh, we better, I better run. I'm out of time. Uh, Ted Malik, everybody, his piece is really cleverly done, as usual. Ted Malik over at American Greatness, amgreatness.com. I'll put it up on social media from a few days ago. The Problems of Ultra Capitalism. It's a uh, debate with George Soros. Of course, Soros uh, didn't, sh- didn't show up, didn't engage, but uh, there you have it. Uh, and we'll look forward to that next piece coming in a few uh, days. Uh, Ted, thanks for your time. Thanks. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. Don't forget, you can go over to ProAmericaReport.com. We have Ted on as a regular guest now, and we link to all of his pieces, too. So you can go over there and check it out. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. And our next guest is Stephen Mosier. And Stephen is a uh, he's somebody who has been uh, in front of a lot of stories for a long time. One of them is the population issues broadly. He's the president of the Population Research Institute. POP.org is their website. Uh, and for decades now, um, he has been uh, speaking about these issues and, and trying to cut through lots of the craziness and the nonsense. He's also been uh, particularly prescient on China. And uh, he has been talking about China. His book, Bully of Asia, Why China's Dream is the New Threat to World Order. It was the book of the month in February for the sale of uh, network and so, uh, which is always great. And uh, welcome, Stephen. How are you? I'm good, Ed. Uh, thanks for having me on. Before I, I will want to segue into Eastern Europe and to Russia, Ukraine, at least for a, co- a conversation. But uh, while before we get to that, uh, your book, Bully of Asia, um, one of the problems is sometimes people get excited about the wrong uh, things. And 
it feels like, again, we can't we cannot stop worrying about a world war and a nuclear power in a war, which is what Russia is. But China is really the threat to America. I, the Trump era ushered in some some new understanding of that. Are you worried that's faded? Well, I am because Russia is the, the, the threat of the past, quite frankly, the, the, the fact that, that is bogged down in Ukraine now uh, by an army uh, that's much smaller than its own, much less well equipped, uh, tells you everything you need to know about the fact that uh, uh, when, you, when you go into a country with uh, 1980s and 1990s equipment, you don't do very well against uh, modern drones and, and, and shoulder-fired weapons. But uh, make no mistake that behind Russia is China. China is the threat of the present. It's the threat of the future. And, and I believe that, that one of the reasons that Putin decided to act now was that he was clearly encouraged by Xi Jinping for several reasons. Uh, he's encouraged by Xi Jinping because she wants to see how the West will react when a democratic country is invaded by a totalitarian state, because he has the same designs on Taiwan, and wow. he wants to do the same thing vis-a-vis Taiwan that Putin is now doing with Ukraine. And it's a great test run for him to see how the world, the United States, is, is reacting uh, to this invasion, uh, because it won't be long before he uh, sends his invasion fleet across the Taiwan Straits. Uh, we're talking with uh, Stephen Mosier. And again, I, re- I mentioned he's the head of the uh, Popula- Population Research Institute. Go to POP.org. You'll see more about him. Um, so uh, but um, part of the thing, that, part of the reality of China is they also and again, your book, Bully of Asia, um, their dream uh, is a new, you know, well, let me pause. You knew the late Phyllis Schlafly well and my old boss. And I was looking back at where, where she wrote about the new world order and the, and the conversation that started with George H.W. Bush in 1991 about the new world order. And Phyllis wrote for 25 years at the end of her life about, look at this, the International Criminal Court. By the way, Trudeau today said he's going to file charges in the International Criminal Court, whatever that means, right? The World Health Organization, the, um, the trade organizations, the UN, the EU, all these multilateral entities that end up chipping away at the sovereignty of nations. Well, China, I don't know if China cares about any of that. They're all tools. But what they know is the economy. It's the economy, stupid. It could be Carvel and Bagala running China. They, they are happy to have everybody else, you know, make themselves crazy because they're they're gradually, systematically building dependence among the world economically, right? Well, right. I mean, look, you've got Vladimir Putin living the uh, the 19th century dream. You know, he's Peter the Great. He's going to reassemble the Roman, the Russian Empire. But uh, you've got China uh, living a 21st century dream, the, the dream of Xi Jinping, the dream that they will set up a new world order, uh, which doesn't just include the traditional countries in Asia that they dominated, like uh, Vietnam and Korea and Tibet and so forth. It includes the entire world. They are much more ambitious than Putin. They want to set up an entirely new world order, which necessarily means not just bumping the United States down into second place, but turning the United States into a kind of tributary state. Now, how could that possibly happen? Well, if you move all the world's industry to China, if China becomes the factory floor of the world, which is its ambition, then the rest of the world has three roles to play. First of all, they provide raw materials for China's factories. They provide food for China's workforce. And thirdly, they provide a docile consumer 
uh, base for uh, consuming Chinese-made products. That's the world of the future that China envisions in economic terms, but it doesn't stop with the economy. Uh, they want to dominate the world politically and militarily as well, and uh, and they're on track to do that. So let's not take our eye off the main chance here, the main threat. Uh, sure, uh, we may want to help Ukraine with weapons, but no boots on the ground, no no uh, a no fly zone would be a terrible mistake. It would lead to uh, maybe a nuclear exchange. Uh, we need to stay focused on the Indo Pacific, and and I must say that. Uh, that that China is playing its typical double game here because you know that Vladimir Putin flew to Beijing as the Winter Olympics were starting to meet with Xi Jinping. He signed no fewer than 15 agreements on trade, including an oil and natural gas contract. And then the day that that Putin's panzers begin rolling into Ukraine, China opened its doors to Russian wheat, providing a, a, a market again, not just for oil and natural gas, but for Russian other commodities that uh, will provide Russia with the cash it needs to to pay its workers and continue to manufacture its weapons. So, uh, in other words, uh, Putin said about invading Ukraine, knowing that the Chinese communists had his back, knowing they would help him to ease the pain of economic sanctions that were sure to follow his invasion. So, yeah. Well, we're talking with Stephen W. Mosier, the, the president of the Population Research Institute. Again, his book is Bully of Asia, Why China's Dream is the New Threat to World Order. Um, let me pause. If you could go back in time, Stephen, let's say seven years, eight years, could you envision a set of uh, of scenarios coming forward where America ended up pals with Russia, united against China? It, w- was that possible in the sense that um, some of the instincts of Russia are directionally towards ours. I mean, there's certainly corruption, but they, they you know, they're directionally, they, they like um, at least ostensibly religious liberty. Or they, they seem to have a renewal of, of Christianity. And, and even part of it was what got them through communism. I mean, it, it, did we end up in a place where we made mistakes that got us here? Or was it somehow, uh, you know, China was better at, the, at, at, at envisioning a future? Well, I think that, that, that China has, has done its best to wrest Russia away from the West and, and turn it into a pseudo-ally. I think naturally they are, they are not allies, they're enemies. Uh, China, to, in, its, in its internal debates, of course, Chinese officials say that Russia is sitting on 250,000 square miles of Chinese land. Uh, they, in their internal debates, they say, when are we going to take Vladivostok and the Russian Far East back and Siberia with its natural resources? Huh. Uh, but yeah, we missed, we missed an opportunity here uh, because uh, Russia was converted to Christianity a thousand years ago. Right. It has deep connections and deep roots with the West. We should have done everything we could to bring it into uh, the Western world order and not kept it isolated and, and alone. And I think we could have avoided uh, this this outcome. But the problem is, of course, as you know, Ed, as well as I, that in 2016, uh, the whole Russian collusion nonsense meant that every time Russia, uh, Ch- Trump wanted to do something to advance that cause, uh, he was accused of Russian collusion, which is nonsense. There was no collusion. He was very tough on Russia. Uh, Biden is is playing a double game, too, because on the one hand, uh, he's sending uh, weapons to Ukraine. On the other hand, he's buying Russian oil hand over fist. So uh, how does that how does that play? Uh, you're sanctioning Putin with one hand. At the other hand, you're giving him cash that he could use to feed his army, pay his army and uh, build weapons. 
we're, we're talking with uh, Stephen Mosier. I, I have one more question before a, a wrap-up question. So, and this one's about your life arc. Uh, you were early in China in the late 70s, I think. And I, as I recall the story or the bio, you were not either agnostic, maybe an atheist. And later, part of what you saw was the Chinese uh, one uh, child policy, abortion, and you kind of, it became a part of your life. Wait, wait a second. This is, I see abortion. I'm, I'm pro-life now. And that's been your career arc. Um, uh, morally, I'm not your career career, your life arc, um, the, the Chinese regime, it, it, they're communists, right? These are atheists. This isn't like, a, they're, not, they're, not, they're not choosing a different market. They, they, these, are, these are people that have a different ethic that is coming out of their, their I mean, I'm not going to say leadership. I, I, I need to be a little bit careful. That's very different than other leaders and places. I mean, this, there's no Soviet Union that are filled with atheists. There may be atheists in Russia, but in China, their system is designed on atheism and contrary to the values, right? Absolutely. And, and the Chinese Communist Party not only is officially atheistic, it is trying to, to turn the entire population of China into a, a congregation of atheists who worship the state, uh, who see their supreme leader as, as also a kind of semi-deity, uh, Xi Jinping. There's a tremendous personality cult in China today, uh, where people are expected to uh, download the Xi Jinping app and spend 30 minutes every day studying uh, the words of Xi Jinping and repeating them back robot-like so they can uh, increase their social credit score and, and get a, you know, be able to buy a plane ticket or buy a house or do the other things that uh, you're allowed to do if you have a good social credit score, but you're not if your social credit score falls too low as a critic of the regime. Uh, so that kind of uh, ultra-nationalism, that kind of uh, quasi-religious fervor, uh, uh, that the party is trying to stoke among the Chinese people is a is a is a fake re- religion. It's an ersatz religion, uh, but it's it's a sentiment that uh, that completely replaces re- replaces God with the party. Oh. And uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a very very different place, and that's how they imagine the entire world. Uh, right. under their control. Uh, again, our guest is uh, Stephen W. Mosier, the president of the Population Research Institute, POP.org, um, and the author of the book, Bully of Asia. Uh, final question uh, about this moment. Um, can you, Stephen, with your um, sense of history and also the psychology of leadership, can you envision a, a, a different um, ending to where we are in terms of the Ukraine and Russia? Is there a path that we don't see where, you know, somehow there could be a, a, a peace agreement that would stop everything and we'd sort of reset? Or are we just stuck in a in a uh, Hollywood movie where it's going to go, feels like it's going to end terribly and we don't know what's going to happen? And no, I think we still control our own destiny. Um, you know, we're the United States. We're the dominant, still the dominant power on the planet. And we have uh, a couple dozen allies in this conflict with us. Uh, the conflict should never have happened, of course, if we had simply uh, armed Ukraine and and uh, and had the right policy towards Russia, uh, Russia would never have invaded. I, I think the one the one thing that we finally done that may finally have an effect that may finally have uh, Vladimir Putin sweating in his bunker and may convince Xi to shelve his plans to invade Taiwan is uh, we've set up a task force that's going to target the overseas assets of Putin and his inner circle. Uh, they're going to take uh, their yachts, their luxury apartments, their money, their ability to send their kids to fancy colleges in the West. And I think that, if anything, will get the attention uh, of the oligarchs who surround Putin, who have most of their ill-gotten gains overseas. 
Uh, so they can either will have a choice of either stopping the invasion or, or losing the majority of their assets. Now, the leaders of the Communist Party, Ed, have far more money, far more yachts, far more labor <laughs> far more family members in the West than the Russian oligarchs do. And if they thought the invasion of Taiwan would jeopardize that, they might decide to let the island go its own way or or, or retire Xi Jinping. So mm-hmm. I think that's what you do. You cannot allow these dictators uh, to steal billions from their own people and then buy apartments overlooking Central Park in New York City and, and you know, $100 million yachts. Yeah, it's uh, well, I, and I have a theory. I'm, I'll just tell you, as I've been telling my listeners, that I think that China looks at, especially after this, looks at Taiwan and says, well, we can't do it quite like we did with Hong Kong, where they give us permission to spend two decades, uh, you know, kind of infiltrating and taking over politically. But we can do it in every other way and, and basically get to the point where uh, we have uh, a, a situation where they have control of, uh, of of Taiwan. So, all right, I got to run. Thank you, as always, uh, for uh, your uh, uh, insight. Again, the book is Bully of Asia. Stephen Mosier, the president of the Population Research Institute. Uh, go to pop.org. Thanks very much, Stephen. Thank you. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. To give you an idea of what goes on at the border... Here are a few interesting facts from Customs and Border Protection. On an average day, CBP processes just shy of a half a million people, 90,000 truck, rail, and sea containers, and 160,000 vehicles. On this same typical day, they will arrest 25 wanted criminals at U.S. ports of entry, make 1,700 apprehensions, and uncover hundreds of thousands of dollars in illicit currency. Despite these hard facts... Customs and Border Protection has turned into a political football to be tossed back and forth by competing factions of politicians and pundits. Can we please call a timeout for a moment to look at the facts? On average, the 2,700 CBP agriculture specialists will intercept 264 pests and quarantine 2,500 organic compounds. The numbers may seem dizzying, but keep in mind that just one invasive pest has the potential to wreak havoc on our native ecosystem and agricultural production. Consider the phenomenon of the murder hornets that invaded the American Northwest in 2019 and 2020. According to the Missouri Department of Agriculture's Plant Pest Division, just a few of these massive bugs that are native to Japan and Korea can kill an entire hive of American honeybees in a matter of hours. That doesn't just mean less honey. It means fewer pollinators to cultivate flowering plants. Yet due to the sheer volume of cargo processed, the vast majority of imports are never physically inspected. Those with conservative views on immigration are not the only ones who have a vested interest in supporting customs and border protection. It's not racist to say that our nation doesn't need another Asian murder hornet. Any American who loves our plains, lakes, forests, and rivers should be clamoring for more CBP funding. Any move to defund CBP would be catastrophic for America in more ways than we can even imagine. If you care about conserving America's natural beauty, you must understand the important role that Customs and Border Protection plays. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, President of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. What's the latest on building the wall to protect our southern border? To the liberal media, it's a joke. But the crisis of illegal aliens is no laughing matter. 
At phyllisschlafly.com, we're asking serious questions regarding what to build, who's paying for it, and how best to deploy our military. Go to phyllisschlafly.com and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Only have about a minute left. Uh, let me just do a quick update. Uh, I will, next week, I don't think it'll be this week, the way it's going, looking at the schedule, I will get some more of our uh, pro-life leaders on. Uh, recently, one of the listeners sent me an email, um, and it highlighted the fact that AP was reporting that more than half of all abortions are done by chemical, by um, uh, taking pills. They're not doing the procedure as much. It has a huge impact on what's going to happen uh, if and when Roe v. Wade is reversed this summer, June uh, 30th, maybe uh, closer to July 1st. Who knows when that'll be? Um, so uh, we'll talk more about that. It's a big, big deal. And some of our friends that are understand how to counsel women and help them in the situation have some ideas on that. So we'll get to that. All right. Thank you, as always, to Noah Dingley, our great producer, Joanna Spilger, associate producer. Thank you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.